Hi, I'm Dr. Nate Shannock, and I'm part of the research team at the Ells for Autism Foundation. I'm Eric Egbert, the communication specialist at Ells for Autism. I'm also autistic, and this is the official podcast of the Ells for Autism Foundation for Autism. We call our podcast For Autism because it's a play on our foundation's name, and we love how golf has become such a transformative tool for helping people with autism. This is a this is our 38th episode of the podcast, and today we are talking with special guest Giassi Brooks-Abbott, who authored My Mother's Apprentice, An Autistic's Rites of Passage. In his book, Giassi shares his experiences about of being raised by a single mom and growing up in the 70s and 80s with an autism diagnosis. Before our interview with Giassi, here are news and updates from Els for Autism. In our previous podcast, we interviewed Zachary Pike, author of the book, Regular. In his book, he wrote about how he graduated from high school with a special diploma that excluded him from most courses. Near the year that he graduated, the state of Florida refused to honor the special diploma, even as an access way to college. He eventually was able to attend college by speaking to the school board. We asked him about the process and other developments exerted from the book he wrote. Make sure to also listen to the rest of the program to get an idea of what we were doing as a foundation during that time and learn something new about the autism community for our Today in the World of Autism segment. We have two blog articles for May. The first one celebrated Mother's Day, where we interviewed three moms, including one of our co-founders, Liesl Ells, about their journey of raising a child with autism. The second one is about May being Mental Health Awareness Month, where we asked our very own Dr. Aaron Lazat, Program Director, and Cheryl Checkers, President of the Palm Beach County National Association of Mental Illness, or NAMI, about autism and mental health. Please look at our show notes for the links to these blogs. And speaking of Mental Health Awareness Month, we all must take the time to evaluate ourselves and take the time to relax and de-stress. That is why after earning professional development hours for Florida APSI for their Healthy Minds, Healthy Futures conference in 2019, I brought to the Els for Autism Foundation the importance of having a greater emphasis on mental health. With the help of my co-workers came up with the Adults with Autism Support Group Program, a pioneering program for our community, which has been active ever since. The program came about because once we graduate from high school, there are little to no rails in our lives. College is optional, work is optional, driving is optional, and also living alone is optional. So to have a support system like this program is essential. The support group meets on Mondays from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Zoom, and we tackle the critical issues with Doreen Camarada, a licensed mental health counselor. Following the success of the adult support group program, the Teens Connection support group was formed. This support group assists people in their adolescent years when the intricacies of socialization and the transition phase between childhood and adulthood is more acute. The Connection Support Group meets on Mondays from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Zoom with Dr. Kimberly Revicio, another of our excellent L LMHCs. Yes. 
And uh, the last one, well, founded by Samantha Sam Ells and produced by the Ells for Autism Foundation, the Sam Says Stick Together Room hosts a monthly sibling support group with one-on-one -on -one services vital for individuals who don't know how to react to their sibling with autism. Led by a sibling with a brother on the autism spectrum, the support group functions as a safe space for discussing critical issues, accessing mentorships, and connecting with other siblings going through the same journey. The meetups happen on the third Tuesday of every month from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Zoom and are led by a licensed mental health counselor. Generally, the ages are between 9 to 15 years of age. Counseling Individual and family counseling is also available when you don't want to talk in a group setting. The services will be provided by either Doreen Camerata or Dr. Kimberly Riviccio, both LMHCs, and the sessions can be either in person or on Zoom. If you're not interested in joining a group or having a consultation, we have two YouTube playlists dedicated to mental health. One focuses on mental health and the other on stress management. More information on all these programs can be found in our show notes. Now we shift our focus to feature guest Giasi Burks Abbott. I will introduce to you um, Giasi Burks Abbott. Giasi Burks Abbott is a writer, public speaker, and autism self advocate. In addition to serving on the board's committees and commissions of several autism and disability organizations, Giasi is on the faculty of the Leadership Education and Neurodevelopmental and Related Disabilities Program at Boston Children's Hospital and UMass Boston's Institute for Community Inclusion. In addition, he's contributed to and written articles for such publications as the Autism in Adulthood Journal and the Developmental Disabilities Network Journal. He graduated from McAllister, uh, college in St. Paul, Minnesota with a BA in English and Psychology and an MS in Library and Information Science from Simmons University in Boston. Recently, uh, Giasi published a book about his life called My Mother's Apprentice and Autistics Rites of Passage, a Passage. He lives in Bedford, Massachusetts. I want to thank you, Giasi, for coming onto the program today. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, Giasi, we're very excited to be speaking with you. And in reading your book, My Mother's Apprentice, you talk about being misdiagnosed by your doctor with mental retardation in the 1970s, as not a lot of research had been done around autism. How long was it until you were correctly diagnosed with autism? Well, finally, that diagnosis came right before my 18th birthday in 1991, um, actually, and that was the same year that Hans Asperger's work on autism, which had been published in the 40s, the same decade that Leo Kanner's work on autism had been published, was, was translated into English and made available in the United States in an anthology called Autism and Asperger's Syndrome, and the two papers were paired together, and it was translated by Judith Frith. And that was the same year that I was diagnosed with uh, with infantile autism. Um, the diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome wouldn't 
become a thing until a few years later in 1994. Um, but between, let's say, being diagnosed with what was then called mental retardation at three and a half and the definitive diagnosis of autism at 17, I basically had um, a diagnosis of um, autism residual state at 11, actually made by the same doctor who would misdiagnose me as intellectually disabled at three and a half. And basically, I was considered to have a learning disability. So I was in special ed for uh, from first through third grade. Um, so I re really no one knew what was wrong with me, really. Um, but answer your question about when, how long it took, I guess, three to 17. It's about, what, 14 years? Yeah. Yeah. And how did your mom fight for you to be correctly diagnosed? so that you could get the proper support? Well, what I would say my mom did is that, in essence, there are many ways in which I would say that she supplemented my education. I mean, she was an academic, uh, and she worked from home, and she would share her work with me. Her, her fields were uh, literature and film, and so she would analyze movies with me. She would encourage me to read by, for instance, uh, enrolling me in the... Uh, our local library summer reading program. Uh, when we would travel, you know, she had to travel a lot, you know, going to conferences, she would take me with her. And she pretty much always had my back. I mean, she always advocated for, for me with my teachers and with principals and stuff like that. And uh, she also taught me to advocate for myself. That's very interesting. And on that note, I know you mentioned learning valuable um, lessons in terms of, of film analysis and also a, a spark to, to read literature. Um, are there other life lessons that you learned from your mother? Well, before I answer that question, let me just backtrack a bit about the film analysis. This actually was more sort of like analyzing I mean, she she was just analyzing the films because she was always interested in the representation of marginalized groups in Hollywood cinema, particularly African-Americans. But what she was doing when we would discuss the films, in essence, she was sort of giving me lessons, almost like what are called what so, the method of social stories, where in essence, you teach someone on the autism spectrum how to understand human relationships through social stories. My mom, you could say I was doing that accidentally. She didn't know what she was doing because that wasn't a thing. But in terms of life lessons, um, I would say that one thing my mom always encouraged me to do was to think for myself, um, because she always believed that one shouldn't just blindly accept authority, especially if I should or did know better. In other words, I should be able to sort of have my own sense of what was right and wrong and sort of know that based on my own research, my own analysis, and I should be able to, you know, not just necessarily be swayed by authority and not think for myself. That was an important lesson. And always just also speak up for myself, too. That was something she always tried to instill in me. Yeah, those are wonderful lessons for everyone in the population to follow and, and definitely for individuals that, that do have a disability of sorts. And yeah, it sounds like your mother was very ahead of the times with how she used film as a social story of sorts. 
Yes. Did you did you guys have any favorite films that you enjoyed watching together? I I guess uh I know one film we, I used to like a lot watching was uh, Throw Mama from the Train. Uh, we also liked a lot of Hitchcock. She like we like to watch mysteries. You know, so a lot of uh mur murder mysteries on A and E. And uh some foreign films like A Man, a Woman. You know, different different films. Okay, very cool. So I will now pass it over to Merrick. Okay, so the first question I would have to ask is uh I uh what I find interesting is that probably the most significant uh parental uh well the most significant familial relationship that uh with uh with another person who had a disability was your grandfather and um what did you learn from your grandfather and what did you uh feel like when when you were growing up uh did he have anything what 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 um were uh the life lessons that you took as uh you know as as another family member uh who has a disability and his experiences as a world war ii veteran well you know what's interesting about that as a my grandfather was very active in the disabled american veterans and uh and in a way, and I didn't know I was myself disabled. In essence, that was my introduction to disability, going to DAV conventions um, in the summers with him and my grandmother, and sometimes my mother and my aunts also. And I mean, I was a kid, so I really wasn't necessarily involved in those things. But, you know, the disabled American veterans is a, is a way for veterans, people with disabilities who are veterans, to make sure they get services, make sure they get benefits. And my, I know my grandfather was very involved with that, even when um, his job, he would work for the Veterans Administration and he would help disabled veterans get jobs. Um, in terms of a direct lesson, I would say that um, he always taught me, well, like when I was going through my terrible teens, he would always say to me, be calm, cool, and collected. And in essence, he always taught me the importance of being a gentleman. In fact, in many ways, he was a consummate Southern gentleman. He was from Alabama. Almost to the point where when I was a kid, I almost felt that he would let people take advantage of him. But looking back, I realized he was just sort of giving people the space they needed to do what they needed to do. He was just being a gentleman. And I and I find that very useful now, particularly when, um, you know, some debates about autism could get somewhat contentious. And I could just say, you know, I'm just going to stay back here and just sort of let it ride and you know, not, not force myself, you know, just sort of be calm, cool, and collected. So that's, yeah. Okay. Um, so my next question is, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. You have also had some mental health struggles in your past. What are some strategies that you have used to adapt to these? I would say over the years, I've had good therapists. Um, I'm on medication, but I would say lately, the thing that I have found most helpful is a mindfulness and not just the meditation piece, which I probably don't practice as much as I should, 
but the the way of life of mindfulness, basically staying in the moment and not being judgmental about what's happening, just sort of observing what's around you and just sort of laying it lie and not necessarily becoming in, in, engaged with it. And I, I think that's a very healthy mindset to try to maintain. And it actually makes me more effective. It's not necessarily just sort of accepting things as they are and letting bad things happen. But being able to come from a place of sort of just non-judgmental awareness, I could actually be more effective as an advocate. Because when you're when you're emotional, you really can't be, or at least I can't be as rational as I need to be, or as effective or as strategic. Possibly, can you talk a little bit about uh, what you did in the book was visualize, I believe, your future. Visualize the future that you want, if I can recall correctly. Actually, yeah, glad you brought that up because um, you're right. My mom introduced me to creative visualization as a kid. And yes, I used to creatively visualize. And actually in later years, and actually I learned this method actually in a self-esteem workshop that I took um, while I was in community college, but actually making a dream board. And I also made a dream board with my mom in which you put pictures of different things that you want to see for yourself. So like things having to do with your, your 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 finances or things having to do with your career. So I'll put pictures of my of, of different things I was interested in and and I, and I would, I would have that in my mind. And um you know so yes creative visualization is important um and just seeing yourself and seeing yourself in a different in a certain way. I mean uh visualizing yourself and 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 so yeah those that's another mental health strategy. I mean to not let it go to your head so you become an egotist, but to realize that you know, to have confidence in what you can contribute and that you can contribute. Okay, um, so question three, uh, what changes would you like to see in the mental health treatment field? I guess a couple of things. One is um, I've run into problems with the separation between therapy and medication management, which actually is somewhat of a new thing, or at least new, it sort of emerged in the 90s, you know, wherein, you know, you, you see your psychiatrist for medication, you see a therapist or a psychologist or a social worker for therapy. And I ran into problems with that when on my job, I wanted to take time off of work and my therapist, who I'd been seeing for two years, agreed. But her boss, the psychiatrist I had never met, couldn't really stay. He, he needed to write the final approval because he was a doctor, but he really couldn't speak for me because he didn't know me. So I, I guess, but I've seen that that relationship can work better. In other words, where I mean, the, the situation I'm in now, I mean, I, I have a psychiatrist who does medicine and he has a good team, he has a good relationship that I don't happen to need a therapist now, but I imagine if I did, it would work. But still, I mean, I guess I would like to see less of a schism between um, um, therapy and medication, particularly in what government agencies accept. Because sometimes they don't, they won't only accept a medical doctor. Or, or a PhD. And it's like, they need to be up to speed that, for instance, they should listen to a social worker or a psychologist. They shouldn't be so set in their ways. Um, 
So there needs to be some some work around that about you know, what what you know should medicine should medication management be separated from therapy and if it should be you know then should insurance companies come in and say well we're only going to listen to the person who does the medication management we're not going to listen to the person who does the therapy I mean somehow that needs to be worked out another thing I would like to see is more of a focus on natural supports in other words ways of maintaining your mental health that aren't necessarily therapy-based. There's nothing wrong with therapy, but there are also natural ways of, of improving your mental health, exercise, socialization, diet, stuff like that, which I, which one, one of the things I like about L's for Autism is you guys seem very big on, into that. I mean, your last conference about recreation or the fact that even the meals you serve at events are all, all very health-conscious. So you're very big into exercise and the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Well, and it also is conscious, uh, um, well, uh, conscious of uh, individuals with autism, too, because a lot of our clients uh, come from selective diets. So, uh, for example, uh, many people with autism have a uh, 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 very debilitating status with gluten. Mm. And so uh, we uh, have many gluten-free products and everything like that. So it's really uh, conscious of so many different things. And... Uh, I'm glad that you have enjoyed the conference and I'm glad that you have enjoyed our uh, thoughtful uh, food selections. Sorry. Yeah, I just, just want to say, I really appreciate the point Giassi made about looking at mental health from not just a treatment standpoint, but also more of a management standpoint and helping to promote tools that, will allow people to, you know, really um, be autonomous and integrate exercise, diet, mindfulness, uh, yoga, possibly into their routines. So that's, that's a really important point. Sorry, Mary. That's okay. No, no, I, I completely appreciate uh, because I've, uh, spent a lot of time in the with the mental health counseling field and there is a barrier between psychiatrists and psychologists or therapists yes. and it's very interesting because you know i i can't see a psych a psychiatrist and unless i would have to go on medications, but I can see therapists or psychologists any which way. So it's 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 interesting. Um, uh, possibly, uh, maybe uh, Nate, uh, you can have some uh, enlightenment on the subject, also, if you want to. Yeah, I I think it's a very fair point. You know, I work in mental health treatment and there there is a bit of a, a disconnect with a lot of practices between 
the head psychiatrist and, you know, um, some facilities may not even have psychiatrists and therapists within the same office. So a lot, I think it's a common report that patients have is they wish there was more integration between the person prescribing their medications as well as the ones delivering talk therapy. And, you know, that would really help them feel like they're receiving a cohesive treatment plan where everyone's kind of working together. So yeah, it's, it's a very fair point. And I'm also thinking that, you know, I mean, well, like I said, I mean, back in the day, psychiatrist, your psychiatrist was also your therapist. They, they used to be the same person. Right. I mean, like, um, so like back, um, I had a psychiatrist when I was a kid. I mean, I didn't have medicine, but she was a psychiatrist and she gave me therapy. And that was when I was a kid. Um, even when I, when I was first diagnosed in like 91, 92, I had a psychiatrist and that psychiatrist was my therapist. He also prescribed me the medication that I'm still on to this day. It was only like when I went to college, like mid-90s, we started seeing this split. But what I would also say is part of the split and part of where we need to end the split is a, if we think about a whole body approach to treatment, I mean, the brain and the body sort of work together. So they shouldn't be separated, even though traditionally in our culture, we do separate the mind from the body. But in essence, we, we don't we shouldn't be doing that so much, because especially with more of a recognition that, in essence, what happens in your body affects your brain. Like, for instance, the relationship between the gut and the brain. We understand that, you know, that in essence, the brain is actually part of, of the of the immune system to a certain extent. I mean, it's it's uh, once we understand, I think we need to move in that direction because re that's what the research is suggesting is is a reality of of human physiology that the brain and the body are remarkably integrated. Absolutely, and I think moving towards uh, you know treatment facilities that have not only psychiatrists on staff but maybe dietitians as well and uh, physical therapists. Um, you know, just covering the whole mind, body, soul perspective, as you're alluding to, that could be a, a great solution. And that's a good name for uh, a practice, mind, body, and soul. <laughs> I like it. Okay, so my last question uh, is to congratulate you for winning the 2022 Autism Spectrum Award. What did it feel like winning this award and what are your goals for being the newest member of the advisory board? Well, I was uh, honored to be selected, especially since the person that I was selected with was Carrie Magro. I mean, um, I was honored to be nominated. And actually, when I saw that Carrie Magro was one of the other people nominated, I, I figured that I definitely was not going to win this because he is a, such a force of nature. I'm such a great advocate, but um, and then when I was told that I actually won it along with someone else, I said it has to be Carrie. Yeah, and it was. But so I'm honored, obviously, and um, I, was, I felt gratified. I mean, I've done a lot of, I think I've done a lot of work, and I'm glad to be recognized for that work. And in terms of what my goals are, I mean, I, I'm really interested in what the center does in terms of um adult services. 
I mean, I like the health consciousness. I like the fact that you're sort of into naturalistic supports. I mean, the, the recreation conference basically just looked at how just basic recreation, basic, you know, extracurricular activities, sports, music can be integrated in, in a therapeutic way to help people on the autism spectrum. But I also like the fact that you have, um, well, you already have uh, sort of work programs where you teach people work skills and you even have like those makeshift apartments that teach people living skills. But I'm also looking forward to what you're going to do with the new adult center. And I like to be involved with that because uh, I think it's very important to, you know, have a world waiting for the kids as they grow up and they become adults and they can be integrated into their communities. And I really think that you guys are really working towards that. And I'd like to be more involved with that. So uh, we've reached the end of the questions. Is there anything you want to add or say or anything like that? No, I think it's been a good interview and I'm, I'm glad you interviewed with me. And um, certainly if anyone is interested in reading my book, it's available online in different places. Amazon is one of them. And uh, also, if you do read the book and you like it, if you can leave a comment uh, I'm on Amazon or, you know, talk about it in your own your own circles. And, you know, until if you have like lists of books and stuff like that, I would I would appreciate that, too. Yeah. And uh, I will actually uh, broadcast. Well, I will uh, uh, basically link it and where it is sold uh, <clears throat> on uh, on the show notes for this episode. So okay. uh, there will be a, a resource that you can use, uh, our listeners can use, and uh, purchase a book, which I will heavily recommend. I, I actually could relate a lot to your uh, story, even though I was, I'm like uh, probably 13 years younger than you, but yeah. I, I feel like I, I basically would trace so much of my life through that book. So hmm. I, I highly recommend it. Thank you. I'm honored. Yeah. Thank you so much. For joining us uh, the tips were very helpful and also hearing more about your story i know a lot of people like merrick said are connecting with it and find it to be very inspirational thank you and uh one, one question uh what, what was the month that you were born may okay so you just passed uh I guess yeah, May 5th. I, I just turned 50. Yes. 50th birthday. That's right. Yeah. That's right. No. Yep. Well, congratulations. Thanks. Happy birthday. Thanks. And we won't basically spoil your uh uh in involvement with us with a happy birthday song. So I'll I'll just <laughs> wish you I'll just Give you a happy uh, belated birthday. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad that you uh, took the time with us to uh, be interviewed. And the, question, the answers were...
quite good. And, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, every single time we have a guest on, uh, I will say, uh, maybe not verbally, but, uh, you know, every single guest is a friend of the show and I can't wait to see any um see any of our guests including you again uh you're you've got an open door and any of our guests would want to come back uh make it an open door also for you too thank you appreciate that anything you want to add uh nate no just yeah thank you so much again it was it was great speaking to you and yeah, we're very excited to continue to be able to collaborate through the foundation. I'll uh, basically wish you uh, a great future with us and with whatever dreams may come. Thank you. I look forward to working together. could fly so high oh like a butterfly i fly into the air so high oh like a butterfly a moth is a butterfly without any colors but what's beautiful is what's inside maybe a moth is just a butterfly trying to hide well i'm just a caterpillar crawling around Knowledge in my head, but my feet on the ground. Soon I'll be like an angel in the sky, like a butterfly. I wish that I could fly so high, oh, like a butterfly. I fly into the air so high, oh, like a butterfly. Like a bird, I was meant to soar. I will fly through the sunlight and even when it pours You can't stop me when I get a hold of the wind In the future your eyes will light up To think that I was once a poor caterpillar Will grow up and take to the sky Like a flock of butterflies I wish I could fly so high Oh, like a butterfly I'm flying to the air Oh, 